we just sang the words, he has come for us. Uh, this Jesus, uh, the hope for all mankind. He has come for us. Uh, this is what Advent is all about. Advent, a term that means arrival uh, or coming. Uh, our celebration at Christmas, our celebration in Advent is that Jesus has come, that God has come to be with us. And that Jesus would come, that God would come in the form of human flesh and be with us changes everything and can change everything, should change everything about our human experience. In this Christmas season, as we look at Jesus, as we look at his coming, as we celebrate what is a familiar story, uh, we're going to be using the theme, this changes everything. That, that Jesus would come that he would live, that he would die, that he would rise again, uh, should change everything for all of us. We're going to be using the themes of Advent along the way. The traditional theme of the first week of Advent is hope. And Jesus changes everything when it comes to hope. Jesus changes everything when it comes to peace. Jesus changes everything when it comes to love. Jesus changes everything when it comes to joy. Jesus changes everything, and I so desperately want you to grab hold of that. Uh, even if you've been walking with Jesus and journeying with Jesus, you've been a disciple of Jesus for years, I hope that you are reminded and you're encouraged and you're strengthened in your faith about how Jesus changes everything. And maybe there's even a way that you open up your life to him in a new, a new way and allow him to have more effect in changing you and changing your perspective and changing how you encounter things in this world and how you live for him and how you honor him. He has come for us. I think probably as we think about hope um, in this first week of Advent and how Jesus changes everything as it relates to hope, we need to maybe be clear about what hope is and what hope isn't. I just did a quick Google search this week on hope and I just put in a hope defined, like what is hope? And one of the top links was for the Wikipedia entry for, for hope. And like all things Wikipedia, you probably ought to hold them loosely. Uh, it's user-generated content. But the definition for hope mentioned that hope is an optimistic or optimism um, about positive outcomes and circumstances in life. And I thought to myself as I read that, is that really all hope is? Is hope only an optimism? Is hope only a positive outlook about circumstances and outcomes? Or is hope something more? Because if hope is only a positive feeling about what might be, then what happens when what might be doesn't end up happening? Does that mean all hope is lost? But what if hope is something more? What if hope is not just about positive feelings and optimism, but what if hope is rooted in someone Someone who is unchanging. Someone who has worked throughout human history and has shown himself to be true. You know, when you look at the word hope in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Hebrew and the Greek, the idea of hope is this idea of expectation, but it's always expectation rooted in the character and the activity of God. It's not a hope rooted in simply circumstances or, or positive feelings. It's rooted in the one who made us and the one who formed us, the one who is unchanging. 
And when we can lay hold of that hope, when we see this one who came for us, that he's the hope of all mankind, it changes everything. It takes us from despair to hope. As I was thinking this week, um, the thought occurred to me that perhaps Emmanuel, a name we use a lot at Christmas, is maybe the best name of Jesus to associate with hope. Because Emmanuel means that God is with us. It tells the story of a God who made us and formed us and fashioned us, the same God who parts seas, the same God who sustains his people in the wilderness, the, the same God who goes before his people in battle, that God who would come in Jesus and invade human flesh. He would zip himself up in human skin. That's what we call the incarnation. And he would expose himself to everything that you and I are exposed to, all the doubts, all the disappointments, all the difficulties. He would expose himself to the temptations that you and I face, and yet he would overcome. He would live with us. He would die a death for us. And he would rise victoriously over the grave. He came to be with us. And in that we have a hope that's beyond any positive feeling, any positive vibe, any positive outlook. It's rooted in the person and the character of God, the person and the character of Jesus. So how does Jesus change everything and move us from despair to hope? In this series, we're going to look um, both in Acts and Luke many weeks. Why Acts and Luke? Well, we're in a teaching series through the book of Luke, I mean, book of Acts right now. Um, But Luke was also written by Luke. And I shared with you in 2020 when we preached through Luke, and I shared with you this fall as we launched our series in Acts, that both Luke, the gospel of Luke, and Acts are likely were part of the same volume. Luke writes to a man named Theophilus, likely a sponsor of both the gospel and the book of Acts. Um, Someone who he was trying to help be assured of who Jesus was and what he had done, but also for the larger community of followers of Jesus. And in one, the gospel of Luke, he tells the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And in the other, the book of Acts, he tells the story of how that began to change the world. So we're gonna look in both because we have the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, but we have the results of that story in the book of Acts. And we're gonna see how Jesus changes everything. And so to start today, I wanna start in the book of Acts. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 27, uh, here at the beginning. Acts 27 is the next to the last chapter uh, in the book of Acts. Um, Luke is wrapping up his thoughts on his journal on what's transpired in this early community of people who are changed by Jesus and who Jesus worked through to change the world. By the time you get to Acts 27, um, if you read through the entire book, it reads a lot like this journal of Luke, just sharing what, what Jesus was up to through the lives of his people. And as you work your way to Uh, chapter 27, you'll see that this new community of disciples of Jesus, how they lived and how Jesus changed them led to lives that often challenged, confronted, conflicted uh, with the culture and the world in which they lived. How they believed often challenged the beliefs of the people with whom they lived. Uh, Their lives challenged the worldviews. Their lives challenged the behaviors and because the, their lives were different, because it challenged the status quo in the Roman Empire, it often was met with persecution. 
and even suffering for God's people. And Paul experiences that more than anybody in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 27, Paul's been arrested because of his faith, because of his life, because of how it was countercultural, and uh, he is making his way towards Rome. Acts 27 uh, tells the first part of that journey. It's a story of ports and ship changes on the journey. And we get to Acts 27, verse 13. Um, we read about a storm. And I, I want to read that account, verses 13 through 20, to start. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Luke is a travel companion of Paul. Uh, we, we learn in other letters of Paul that Luke is with him. And so Luke has watched Paul's life unfold. Luke was present on the ship. And so at some point later, he's recounting what was happening on this journey. And he just shares very authentically, very transparently, very vulnerably that there came a moment when that storm was so intense as they were driven along by it as the ship was being battered and they were worried about being run aground and beaten against the rocks, that he and the crew had come to a place of nearly giving up all hope of being rescued. I think those words of verse 20 are very poignant. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. That's a pretty dark and real confession, isn't it? As Luke looks back on the experience, he says, you know, there was a moment when we, when I, had given up all hope, all expectation of being rescued, all expectation of being saved. And I can almost imagine that in this moment, uh, Luke can almost recall, I don't know if you have this sometimes when you're thinking back to difficult experiences in life, you can almost hear the voices, you can almost smell the sense, you can almost feel what you felt in those moments. And I just imagine Luke as he's writing down these words, uh, maybe he, he can smell the stench of the vomit of a crew that's been nauseous. Maybe he can still feel what it, the nausea and his own anxiety of being tossed back and forth in the storm, the discouragement, the desperation, the despair. He says there came a moment when they had given up all hope, all expectation of being rescued, of being saved. 
And I think that many of us can relate to those seasons and those experiences in life, can't we? When have there been moments in your life, and maybe you're in one of those moments right now, maybe you're in one of those seasons right now where you've given up all hope, all expectation of rescue. For, for each of us, it's a little nuanced and, and different. They're not all the same. Uh, but maybe for you, it's been uh, an unexpected squall or storm of grief. Maybe for you, it was an unexpected tragedy that sent you spiraling into despair. Maybe for you, um, it's some sort of financial chaos or calamity. Maybe you lost a job and bills stacked up. You filed for bankruptcy and it was just overwhelming and it left you in this place of despair. You'd lost all expectation, all hope of being saved. Maybe for you, it's an unfulfilled dream. Maybe for you, it's, a, it's, an, it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe for you, it's the season of life you're in. Maybe you're in this new season and uh, your kids are no longer living at home and you're trying to figure out, is this what life is? Is, 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 is there hope beyond this, these days I had with these kids running around my home? Maybe for you, it's this despair that sets in because you desperately want a child and yet you have gone through treatment after treatment after treatment and your dreams and your desires for a child still remain unfulfilled. Or, or maybe you're a student and you find yourself in a season where homework piles up and you ask yourself, like, is this all there is? Maybe, maybe you're bullied at school. Maybe there's difficulties there. Maybe you're a college student and... Um, you're just wondering, is, is this really what I signed up for? I think of the stories I've heard of, of students when they're homesick off at college and there's a, there's a weight of despair that sets in for them. Like, really, this is all there is? And they give up hope. They give up expectation of being rescued, of anything being different. Where has that been for you? Where have been those places? Even if your hope didn't completely break, maybe it just bent all the way to the ground. Like, where have been those places for you? You may ask, what does this have to do with Acts chapter 27? What does this have to do with Advent? What does this have to do with hope? It has everything to do with hope because this is where we begin to see that Jesus changes everything. So, so Luke records that this is how they felt. He, he, he looks back and he says, when I... When I think of those days, like we had lost all hope of being saved, but the story continues. Something changed. What changed? Look at verses 21 through 26. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. There's your ultimate, I told you so moment. Paul, you could probably save those words for later. I mean, you should have taken my advice not to sail for Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What's the source of Paul's encouragement? Verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So Paul tells them, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Luke looks back and says, there, there was this moment when we felt like all hope was lost, when despair began to overwhelm, 
like a dense fog. But something changed. Paul shares that an angel of the Lord came. God was with them. In God's presence, God's message changed everything. This is not the end. This is not how the story ends. And it fills the men with courage. It fills the men with hope. It changes everything that God is active in human history. It brings hope to places of despair. Luke is a master at sharing how God shows up and how God is with us and how God changes everything, not just in Acts, but but as I've already mentioned in his gospel. He, He begins the gospel of Luke by telling us his whole reason for writing. Before he ever gets to the birth account of Jesus, before he ever gets to any of that, he tells us that he writes so that Theophilus and those who read it could have certainty about the things that they have taught, the things that they have believed. Why is that significant? If you remember back to when we preached through, through Luke, and I'm sure you remember sermons from two years ago, um, Luke likely writes his gospel between AD 60 and AD 70. There was a man named Nero who's the emperor of Rome all the way up until AD 68. If you look at history, you see that Nero organized the state to be opposed to Christianity. Nero was known for state policies, Roman Empire policies that were orchestrated to persecute followers of Jesus. He had campaigns to kill Christians. Sometimes those campaigns involved taking them and feeding them to wild beasts in coliseums where people could watch. You want to talk about a time in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, when, when you're questioning whether or not what your, what your beliefs are, what, what, you're, what you're clinging to is real. Like it would be so easy to walk away. I, I don't want to be eaten by a wild beast. I don't know about you. It's not on my to-do list today. And so Luke writes to encourage these people like Theophilus and others who, who, who need to know the certainty of those things that they've heard and they've believed and they've aligned their lives around. He wants them to know the certainty. Why? Because there's hope. This Jesus whom you follow is real. Yes, life may be hard. Yes, you may die. Yes, your family may be persecuted. But this Jesus is real. He changes everything. And it can take you from a moment of despair to a moment of hope. And how fitting that as Luke begins to lead in to the arrival of Jesus, he begins with a story beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, of a man named Zechariah and a woman named Elizabeth. There's this interesting description of them in, in, in Luke chapter 1. It tells us that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's verse 6. When people in Scripture are described as being blameless, it shows their devotion. Not that they're perfect, but they are completely devoted to God. They are men and women of integrity. They're striving with their very best to live and to honor God. And we read that of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and yet we also read that they were unable to conceive, that Elizabeth was unable to have a child. Can, Can you imagine in a culture where righteousness 
And faithfulness to God was often equated with how many children you could have. And so people who are righteous and people who are blameless, they would often have big families. And here is a woman, here is a man who are righteous and blameless. And they have no kids. And now we're told they're um, in their, their more elderly years. I would imagine there are places where despair began to creep in. And that's part of the story that leads up to Jesus is that Jesus changes everything. Zechariah is told by an angel that his wife will conceive. And that leads to the birth of John the Baptist who prepares the way for Jesus who changes everything. When we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Advent, we're celebrating the coming of the one who changes everything, including changing our despair to hope. I want to end by just sharing a few stories of some men and women that I've encountered over the last 22 years who were in places of despair and desperation and they met Jesus and it changed everything for them. Uh, in some of the stories, the names have been changed um, because they have either died and I don't have permission from them directly to share their story or they're still living and I wanna protect them in some way because of the details of their story, but they're all stories of men and women I have encountered and walked alongside. The first story is of a woman named Monita. I met Monita, uh, a woman in her late 70s, early 80s, my first year in ministry. Uh, Monita lived with her only child. Monita had lived a hard life. I don't remember all the details. I just remember hearing part of her story and being brokenhearted for her. When I met Monita, she was already a follower of Jesus. She was unable to come to church. Uh, she'd been battling cancer for years. It had taken its toll. She was thin and withered and wrinkled. Um, but I got assigned what I felt like was a, a very unfair duty one of my first weeks, my first job in youth ministry of transporting Monita to cancer treatments. I didn't realize that's what I had signed up for. But it began a relationship that lasted the better part of the year that I was there, and it was uh, a relationship that I'll treasure my whole life. I would take Monita to her chemotherapy treatments. She was on one of those schedules to where uh, she got a treatment one day, and then it was three weeks before she got another one. And if you've lived this nightmare, you know the first couple of weeks after your treatment, you are miserable, you are sick, you are nauseous, uh, and then the final week you start to feel a little bit better and you have to do it all over again. And so I would take her for her treatment and after every treatment, we'd drive through the drive-through at Arby's and get a milkshake. Why she liked Arby's milkshakes, I do not know, but we would get a milkshake and she would drink it on the way home. And then the two weeks of misery would unfold and she'd start to get stronger and then I'd take her back for another chemo treatment. And what was so impressed upon me, um, 21, 22 at the time, is that when we would drive to her treatments, and when I would see her in the weeks after treatment, Monita never complained. Terminal cancer ravaging her body, pain that I could not imagine in my youth. And yet she continued to speak of how good God was to her how there would come a day when she wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. But as long as she was living, she'd give praise to God. And I thought, how on earth can a woman who has every reason to be full of despair have so much hope? It's because Jesus changed everything for her. I thought of the story this week as I was thinking about how Jesus changes despair to hope of Brad. Um, 
Brad was brought to our church by a friend. Brad, when I first sat down for coffee with him at a Tim Hortons in Ohio, um, had experienced such heartache and heartbreak in the last year that I, I, I barely even knew what to say. Brad, a year before I met him, had been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. It was cancerous, it was growing. Over the first several weeks following diagnosis, he began to notice changes, vision was blurred, he began to lose his balance. Uh, Brad, prior to uh, the tumor, um, was a man who loved strength training. He loved working out. Um, but following the growth of the tumor, he couldn't work out anymore, and his form began to wither. Um, he needed the help of a cane to walk. And as his strength faded, uh, Brad's wife decided that's not what she signed up for, and so Brad's wife left him. And so Brad's friend brings him to church because Brad has told him that he's hopeless, uh, that he's desperate, that he's in despair, and his friend, the only thing he can think of is that maybe Jesus can change this for you. And so Brad and I started having coffee uh, about weekly. I heard his story, and I just let him share the story. And as he asked questions, I would try to point him to what God had to say about him and about his life. And over the course of several weeks, Brad came to the place where he wanted to trust and follow Jesus. And so I had the privilege, just months into knowing Brad, of baptizing him in our baptistry at the church I was at. I had the privilege in the months that followed of driving the hour to Columbus, Ohio, to see him in a hospital nearly weekly as he prepared to go home on hospice. And I had the privilege of standing with him as he laid in his bed in his living room and his parents cared for him and as he died. And I had the privilege of sharing words at his funeral that a year before no one would have ever thought that Brad had found hope in Jesus. And as I spoke with Brad in the hospital prior to him losing his ability to talk, he shared how Jesus had changed everything for him. The father of two kids dying of cancer, his wife left him and yet he had tremendous hope because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what that meant for him forevermore. Jesus changed everything. He took him from despair to hope. I'll tell you the story of Virginia. Uh, Virginia came to our church and she was broken. I remember she was one of those who after services came forward and just had to speak to me and uh, she shared with me just these brief pieces kind of all over the place of our life and I could tell that it was kind of um, a bit of a mess in that moment and see so we scheduled a meeting later in the week and Virginia came to my office and we spoke and she shared stories of abuse uh, she shared recent stories as a young mother how she'd been in and out of relationships with both men and women she shared a story of an abortion in her youth and she was desperate. She didn't know where to go. She didn't know what to do. And a friend had invited her to church and thought that maybe Jesus could help her. And over weeks and months, Virginia found Jesus. And I too got to help baptize her into the family of God. And then a few years later, got to, on the exact same platform, um, officiate the wedding with her and her husband as Jesus had brought hope to her life and completely changed the trajectory of her life. Jesus changed everything. And there were story after story that came to mind, but the final one I wanna share is one I just learned about two and a half weeks ago. 
I was gathered with a group of senior leaders um, at a church down on the south side of Indianapolis. Uh, we were gathered to participate in the training around um, being disciples who make disciples. And uh, in another part of the church, there was a gathering of people where there was a featured speaker. And that featured speaker was a chaplain for law enforcement officers. Travels all over the nation encouraging those um, families and individuals connected to law enforcement. The, our host, the minister of the church, had had to step in to introduce the speaker and sat for a while in the other venue while we went through our training and then came in towards the end of our training to tell us this story that he had just heard. This chaplain had recently been in a remote part of our country, a mountainous area, and uh, had led a retreat. And at that retreat, there were about a handful of law enforcement officers and families. And one of those law enforcement officers was in the final, you know, uh, part of her journey of coming back from having been shot in the line of duty and returning to the field. That chaplain went on to share how they took a hike one day during that retreat, and as they were climbing the mountain, he uses those experiences when people are being strained physically to help speak to them about hope in Jesus and life in Jesus. And this law enforcement officer who didn't know Jesus came to faith in Jesus that day as they climbed the mountain. And she was baptized in the icy lake up in the mountains of Alaska. She went from despair to hope, and the difference was Jesus. It's just another reminder that Jesus changes everything. When we celebrate Jesus coming, yes, we, we look into nativity scenes and we see a, a baby lying in a manger, but, but we now live not just in the shadow of the manger, we live in the shadow of the cross. We know that baby grew up. We know that baby came, lived, and died, and rose again. And it changes everything. And so in all of our celebrations of Christmas, and all the lights, and all the tinsel, and all the gifts, and all the carols, we have to remember that he has come for us. And he's the hope of all mankind. He changes everything. He takes us from despair to hope. No matter what you experience, no matter what you're going through, Jesus can change everything for you. And he'll often use our most difficult circumstances to write an incredible story of hope. I think of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5 where he writes these words. He says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Even in difficulty, God fosters stories of hope. If you're in a place of despair this morning, uh, it is my prayer and many of our prayers that you would find the hope that Jesus brings uh, this Advent season because it changes everything. Uh, before we sing uh, a couple more songs and share in the Lord's Supper, I thought a fitting story in thinking of shipwrecks was the famous story about Horatio Spafford who who wrote our hymn, It Is Well. And many of you are probably familiar with the story. 
Um, following the Chicago fire in 1871, Horatio's wife, Anna, um, started feeling effects of illness. And in 1873, he sent Anna, uh, along with their four daughters, uh, over to Europe uh, so she could get some treatment and hopefully um, uh, find a little bit more health and healing on the journey across the ocean, the ship that they were in, this passenger ship, struck another ship, and it sank. And all of Horatio and Anna's children perished. Uh, Anna was rescued, and she survived. And in the years that followed, Horatio wrote a song called It Is Well. A man who'd faced grief and tragedy and darkness and difficulty would write a song about how when sorrows like sea billows roll, how God is still with him and God is still there and it is well. It's a song of hope. In just a few moments, we're going to sing that. Um, and just before we do and before I pray, I want, I want to point out one more thing that I forgot that's super important. Um, in all those stories of Monita and Brad and Virginia and a law enforcement officer, somebody else had the willingness to help them find Jesus. And I just wonder this Advent season if that's not you. Who can you help find Jesus and his hope and his peace and his love and his joy this season so Jesus can change everything for them like he changed everything for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your words which are a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God, I thank you for the rhythm of the seasons that allow us every year to spend time intentionally focusing on your coming and your arrival. And God, how even as we celebrate what that means and what that meant, we look ahead to when you'll come again when our hope will be realized. God, would you guide us in this season, Father? For those that are searching, for those that are desperate, for those that are despairing, would you give them the courage to reach out? To talk with someone they know who follows you, to, to connect with maybe some of us here at the church to help them find your hope. God, for those that follow you, may you remind them of their hope even in a desperate season. Would you remind them that it truly is well with them? And Father, would you give us the courage to draw others to your hope? Because it does change everything. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?